SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Hello and welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive knowledge showcase. I am your host, Hank Green, and I'm joined as always by science expert, Sari Riley. Hello. I'm ready to be an expert on whatever this week's topic is. (laughs) We'll find out soon enough. Mm -hmm. And also I'm joined by our resident everyman, Sam Schultz. Hello. You guys, do you know what year Taco John's was founded? Oh man, I have read the entire history of Taco John's on their website a number of times. Wow. Their, Their mascot used to be a little devil, which I think is very cute. He was the same mascot they have now, except instead of a guy with a sombrero, it was a devil. And was he named John? Yeah, they just gave him a different costume but anyway 1969 that is very weird is that correct (laughs) yes (laughs) i told you i knew (laughs) oh my god so so strange that's not how i expected that part of the conversation to go every man sam schultz knows taco john's i love taco john's okay well for people who don't know it's a regional taco fast food place which is disgusting and delicious at the same time it's so yeah it's so good it's like if a pill was very big 
and full of wet. Yeah. Meat, wet meat. I've never had it. And, and I feel like I'm, my desire to is going down after this conversation. You got to go one time. No, it's a great, great place. <laughs> First, Sari, is there is there any uh, is there any really wet food that you like? Are fruits wet? I think that yeah, yes. yeah, kinda. Fruits are very not all of them. Like sugary wet. Bananas are weirdly not wet. Mm-hmm. Like bananas are somehow dry despite being made almost entirely of water. You're right, yeah. and I do like bananas huh. less than other fruits. But like the watermelon, <gasps> that's very unusual. Type ones or berries, like the, yeah. the watery ones, good in my mouth. Yeah. Dry fruit, less good in my mouth. Nature's gushers. As I get older and more types of apples are released, you know, like every year there'll be like a hot new apple. <laughs> new apples, yeah. Hot and new at this apple. point, I'm old enough that me and all my friends get really excited about like cosmic yeah. crisps. Those are the hot new apples. So freaking good. Oh my, I had a, somebody who recently, who like before cosmic crisps came out, they were like, I've heard cosmic crisps are coming to Missoula. Oh. So apparently they were like a Pacific Northwest thing first. Oh. And they were like, and, I, and then I moved to Montana. I can't get the cosmic crisps. Damn. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> I mean, it's a good name for an apple. Mm-hmm. It's a hell of an apple. Every week here on SciShow Tangents, we get together to try to one-up amaze and delight each other with science facts. Our panelists are playing for glory, but they're also playing for Hank Bucks, which we will be awarding as we play. And at the end of the episode, one of them, our resident everyman or our science expert, will be crowned the winner. Now, as always, we introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem. This week, it's from me. There's only so much I can do with this meat that I am made of. I need something my muscles can be in aid of. Something that makes me more powerful than a physically fit, muscly caveman. Well, I can. I can do almost anything, really. Though I think you will find what I mean is, ideally, that I have a thing that helps me do that. A hammer for nails, or a baseball bat, or a rocket 250 feet high, or a light bulb that I can spend time reading by. For a human is nothing, just a silly small fool, until you give them a tool. Oh, I really liked that one. Maybe one of my favorite science poems ever. Really? Yeah, I don't know. Something about it. It meandered very beautifully. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Thanks, you guys. It took me a long time. (laughs) No. Our topic for the day is tools, which is really like, what isn't a tool? Like I, so here's my Taco John's iced tea cup, which says since 1969 right on it. (laughs) The, The cup is a tool. The straw is a tool. The lid is a tool. Is the ice a tool? The tea is not a tool, but everything else is a tool. I think the ice could be, well, we'll see what Sari says. I'd say the ice could be a tool. I think, yeah, I think depending on your perspective, it is doing, it is a tool that you use to cool down the drink. Yeah. And then when you eat it, if you like crunch the ice afterward, then then it's just food. But (laughs) while it is cooling down your drink and only performing that purpose, it is a tool that is cooling your tea. Is like a toy a tool? Can it like a ball it's yeah, it's just providing you joy. That's the that I, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe a tool has to do has to do work. I think yeah. I think there is a difference between work and play, like philosophically, but also when it comes to defining a tool. Okay. Because the definition for tool that I found is a handheld device oh. that aids in accomplishing a task, hmm. which seems too narrow. And then you can go yes. broader and say like like a, a search engine is a tool. Yeah. So something 
used in performing an operation, and and that's everything. And I've never held a search engine. Yeah. Nor has anyone. You can like hug a server, maybe, but <laughs> <laughs> you can't hold it in your hands. If I wanted to pick up Google, where would I go? I bet they have a clever answer for it at one of the offices in like Silicon Valley. You could go there and be like, "Could I pick up Google? I'm Hank Green, TikTok man." <laughs> I, and I want to touch Google. <laughs> And they'd be like, hmm, another one. And then they'll bring you down to a server room and be like, you can hold up this one little modem. And technically, by holding this cable or whatever, you're holding Google. I want to lick it. Can I lick Google? So it's like a dump truck, not a tool? Too big? Or no, what? yeah, all these, all the, yeah, it's 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 ludicrous to me to to think that <laughs> it would you would have to stick with handheld. Mm-hmm. I understand that there is a certain kind of tool that is handheld, but like, what do we call the things that do work that aren't handheld? Then, just equipment, just devices. Mm. Yeah, I think tool in its in its most basic form. When we first invented the word tool, it was like I grab something with my hand and I'm using not mm-hmm. my arm to perform a task. I'm using this thing that I'm holding instead. But as we've created more technologies, the the word tool has also grown and ballooned and become fuzzy around the edges to encompass things like dump trucks. But if you're using it for fun, then it's not a tool. (laughs) (laughs) That is all. That is the only thing I'm interested in using a dump truck for. If you're just dumping around dirt to prank your friends, not a tool. (laughs) Have some dirt, Sam. (laughs) I brought you a truck of dirt. (laughs) <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Smash my house. <laughs> well, Sari, do do you then know where the word tool comes from? It's another one of those that just just existed for a while. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, it comes from the old English uh, "towain," which means prepare, uh, mm. but it's like various versions of. Something that sounds like tool, like Old Norse toll hmm. or ta or or like a very variations on that. That's like an an instrument that prepares. Mm-hmm. But mm. I did look up because we got a lot of tweet questions, very unscientific, but they wanted to know etymology about when and why tool started to be used as like an insult. Like you're a tool. I feel like I can guess why, but it's rude. Oh, do you want to guess why? Is it because of the penis? penis. Wow, good job, both of you. I guess I don't I'm have a penis, real good, so I would not immediately. I like. I was like, oh, that makes sense. But, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> they, so the first written usage of tool as penis is from uh, like the f- 1550s or 60s. Wow. I thought, I thought, I thought it was going to be like 15, like 1915. No, no, no. We 1500s. Like and then Shakespeare would come up with. Thomas Beacon? Relics of Rome. It was like a religious text, and they used tool as as penis. Wow. And then... Thine tool. In 1663, or the 1660s-ish, Samuel Butler wrote a mock heroic narrative poem called Hudibras? Hubridas? I think Hubridas. And then co-opted the word to mean... A, a rude person. Okay. Probably from, he like read it in the, and he was like, oh, I know how to satirize this religious text. I'm going to use the word penis to call another person a dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it also makes sense just to call someone a tool because it's like, you are an object that is used by others, you know? Yeah. Not, not you have no agency of your own, but people aren't clever enough for that. We just want to call each other penis. Yes, you you have 
narrowed in on like nerd insult versus literally everyone else. (laughs) (laughs) We are of a type of people that'd be like, oh yeah, look at the layers and the insult of tool. (laughs) You're not in control of your, you're just something other people use for work and not, not your own self. And everyone else is just like, it's just a dick. It's a dick. Penis. (laughs) (laughs) And now that we know about all that and thank goodness that we do, because what, what was our life before that? It's time for our quiz of the show this week. It's a The history of tattoos goes back a very long time. Archaeologists have uncovered tattooed Egyptian mummies that date back to around 2000 BC. Also, they found tools dating from back to 3000 BCE that could be used to make those tattoos, which consisted of a sharp point and a wooden handle. And many cultures have different tools to get ink under the skin and create tattoos. Well, in 1891, a tattoo artist, Samuel O'Reilly, patented the electric tattoo machine, which used an electric motor to power an ink-loaded needle in and uh, going like in and out of the skin. You've seen it. But but, but like many inventions, O'Reilly didn't just invent this machine out of nowhere. The following are three stories of invention inspiration, but only one of them is true. Which one <laughs> is it? Fact number one. The tattoo machine was inspired by a handheld copier. The user used the device to trace over documents, and as they did so, the motor in the device moved a needle up and down, creating a stencil that could be used to make copies. Fact number two, the tattoo machine was inspired by a handheld sewing machine for shoes. The machine was designed to help the user attach elastic goring, the stretchy bits that make boots fit easier over your calves and make a more durable set of stitches. Or fact number three, the tattoo machine was inspired by a handheld telegraph designed for battle. The machine used a motor that moved a stylus in accordance with a code that was sent through portable wires and recorded on paper. While transmission was slow, the ease of transport and use allowed for portable communication, which was very important on the battlefield. So, was O'Reilly's tattoo machine inspired by a handheld copier, a handheld sewing machine, or a handheld telegraph? Ugh, only one of those reads is even remotely possible to me. What do you mean? I guess I don't know how, like, I don't know how a telegraph works, I guess, very well. Does it have have a big cord in it? Oh, yeah. You gotta have a big cord. (sighs) That doesn't seem You can't just broadcast noises over uh, over radio. We didn't have that yet. It had to go over a wire. That just doesn't seem particularly likely to me. And then a handheld copier, I don't even know. What year was that from, did you say? I did not say. Okay. Olden times. I guess I just can't picture that one. But the handheld sewing before, machine. It was before 1891, which is when the, the right. patent for the electric tattoo machine happened. Right. Sari, so, I feel like you know. You're being quiet. No, I don't know. I'm, I am just, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious about your logic because I usually go first. I also don't, once you get into the realm of electricity, my brain just goes, no, thank you, and then stops, like, comprehending. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I've tried so hard to train it out of that. But I also cannot comprehend how, like, a telegraph would yeah. would translate to a tattoo machine uh, uh, in, like, poking you. Didn't even think about that. I guess, like, the tapping action. But, but it feels like they're two wildly divergent things. Mm-hmm. But I think that the... To me, the copy machine or the shoe one both seem reasonable because those both involve poking. So it's like if you're creating a stencil and if it's like presumably you're like tracing something out and cutting holes in something to make a stencil. Mm-hmm. And that's similar action to putting ink in your skin. And so is like making stitches, but smaller 
and you just don't have a thread. You just like poke it. Yeah. That, 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 that is my logic of like the tapping things. The first two seem to make more sense than the uh-huh. third tapping thing. Oh, but the second one literally has a needle involved. Too easy, maybe. Mm, yeah. But I also get the impression the world was full of shoe factories like at around that time. <laughs> it does. It, it is weird. Like I, I do get the feeling of like 1890s. Everything was a shoe factory. I don't know. Like <laughs> yeah. It seems like, like it just like takes up a lot of space. Yeah. In the a narrative. Lot of, a lot of sewing going on of various yeah. types. If uh, someone's saying, gotta go off to my factory job, then it's always a shoe factory. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. I think I have to go with number two with the handheld sewing machine. My gut's just telling me that that's the right one. Okay. I, was, I just can't picture the copier one at all. I can't picture it well enough, I guess. I was going to go with that one too, but then you said maybe it's too obvious. And so yeah. I'm going to, If you may have fooled me out of it if it's too obvious. I'm going to go with the copier because I can't visualize it. And, and so maybe it just looks like a tattoo machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I were to look it up, then I'll look at it and be like, ah, oh, yes, obviously. Well, Sari... You are correct. Oh. I'm sorry, Sam. You convinced Sari of the right answer and then abandoned yourself. <laughs> so this handheld copier uh, was called the electric pen. It was invented in 1875. And the pen was uh, meant to help merchants and lawyers and really anybody who worked in a field that required a lot of copiers. While the pen did sell well, one of the challenges was its reliance on batteries, which were not a common thing. Hmm. And yeah, you can you can see a picture of it at our Patreon, or you can just search for electric pen at the Rutgers School of Arts and Sciences and see this, this thing that lets you... Uh, poke a bunch of holes in paper and then you could, I guess, do something with ink over that paper and then make a bunch of copies of the thing. Okay. I think is how it worked. But now we have Xerox machines, so we don't have to care about that. Though, in all honesty, I have no idea how a Xerox machine works. Mm -mm. There was a battlefield uh, telegraph. It was called the Beardsley Telegraph and it was used during the Civil War by the Union. And it was portable, though not handheld. It was big enough that it had to be rolled around i think and it it the big the big advantage is that it didn't like require electricity i think you may have had to crank it though because it had <laughs> magnets and then like, you'd crank it and then you'd be able to send a noise down the wire okay there was a wire though. yeah there was a wire right and as far as the uh the sewing machine uh this is false but it was inspired by helen a blanchard an american inventor who received 28 patents for inventions most of which were related to improving sewing techniques and sewing tools it was based on her patent for an improved technique for attaching elastic goring to shoes but she's particularly known for inventing the zigzag stitch <clears throat> sewing machine so if you ever use a zigzag stitch sewing machine, that's that was Helen Blanchard to thank for that one. Now that I know very much about stitching, it does seem like it would be based on a sewing machine, though. But uh-huh. instead, it was based on this very weird uh, paper poking machine. And he was like, well, instead, if I just put some ink on that and put it onto my skin. Yeah, I was wondering <laughs> if you put it on his arm and went, ow. Wait, I have an idea. <laughs> yeah, we could do this this whole tattoo thing much faster. Uh, do you yeah. have a tattoo, Hank? I don't, but it's. I think that coming out of this pandemic, I need like seven. Hmm. <laughs> what do you guys want to do? What's your tattoo on the way? What's your post-pandemic tattoo? I don't think I'll ever get a tattoo, probably. I'm too indecisive to get a tattoo. Mm. I already had one booked before the pandemic happened. I was going to go to mm. L.A. In, in, in May 2020 and get a tattoo, and then... Everything shut down. And so now I have a, a half-booked appointment that I have to fulfill at some point. Excellent. <laughs> it's time for a quick break, and then we will come back to the game, and it will be time for the fact-off. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> 
SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money, a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. I said it before, and I'll say it again. It's a subscription-based world out there. Video games, art-making programs, food delivery services, these things, they all have dang subscription services to subscribe to. And I don't want to cast aspersions? Dispersions? Aspersions. One of those. But... It does seem like part of the subscription uh, business model is to get you to subscribe to something and then hope that you lose track of everything you subscribe to and just keep forking out 10 bucks a month until the sun mm-hmm. burns out. And you know yeah. what? That's actually a pretty good idea on their part, but it's not such a good idea for your wallet. Your money is like a bean. <laughs> <laughs> You want to plant it in fertile soil. You don't want people carving off pieces of your bean all the time. Yeah, that yeah. bean's not going to grow if, there, if there's, there's a constant drain on the on bean. The bean. Yeah. That <laughs> is where Rocket Money comes in. With Rocket Money, you can see all your subscriptions in one place, decide what you do and don't want, and cancel things with just a tap. Rocket Money will even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money. And beyond I mean, beans and beyond subscription canceling (laughs) rocket money helps you build budgets, track your spending and more. There's all kinds of ways to take care of those beans. So they grow into a nice big bean plant. It has over 5 million users and it helps save members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. What would you do with 720 beans? I'd buy more beans. (laughs) (laughs) Different kind of bean, I guess. A so cheaper, beans, more yeah. of a cheaper type you of bean. You buy cheaper beans with your expensive beans. <laughs> yeah, until I had an infinite amount of the cheapest bean you could possibly have. <laughs> Subscription <laughs> companies hate this one simple trick because you figured out their plot. And now you can use you- that money for beans instead. Stop wasting <laughs> money on things you don't use and start using money on things like beans. Cancel your <laughs> unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Factor, whose ready-to-eat meal delivery takes the stress out of meal planning. Stress is stressful. I don't like it. (laughs) Life just goes and goes, and it doesn't ever stop going. There's always something else to do. And one of those things is a very important thing called eating dinner. To eat dinner, one must pick out what they want to eat and then go to the grocery store and then buy the stuff and then chop the stuff and do other things to the stuff. You have to heat the stuff and put it in water. And then afterwards, you have to take the things that you heated it in and they're gross and you have to make them clean again. Meanwhile, life is still happening that all all that's building up around you. This is terrifying. I'm so, (laughs) I never want to cook again. (laughs) You're right, Factor Ad. I don't. I don't want to have this happen. This is unacceptable. Sometimes, uh, parentheses, all the time, uh, you just don't have the time or the energy for meal planning on top of everything else going on in your life. So thankfully, Factor is here to help. Factor's two-minute meals are your secret weapon come mealtime. You can get chef-crafted meals that are better for you and better tasting than takeout delivered right to your door. 
ready to heat and ready to eat. No prep, no mess, no sink full of dishes, no stress. We're kicking stress out the door in 2024, and I certainly hope that's true for me. <laughs> Heck yeah, Factor. Kick my stress. Right out the door. <laughs> I'm going to get a chest freezer just for these meals. <laughs> Oh, you're going to need one because they have over 35 meals to choose from. Flexible ordering options, add-ons, smoothies. Factor offers all sorts of fast, simple solutions when you're too busy to cook. Banish your stress, even if it's just for like one hour while you're eating dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash tangents50 and use code tangents50 to get 50% off. That's code tangents50 at factormeals.com slash tangents50 to get 50% off. All right, everybody, welcome back. Our panelists, our resident everyman and our science expert have brought some science facts to present to me in an attempt to blow my mind. After they have presented their facts, I will judge them and I will award Hank Bucks any way I see fit. And to decide who goes first, I have a trivia question. The earliest hammer-like tools didn't have handles, making accuracy hard to achieve and accidents more frequent. So roughly what year in BCE do we start seeing evidence of hammers that have this newfangled feature, the handle. Ah, oh, these are freaking hard. Well, I gave you a hint. It was before it was before zero? Okay. Yeah. There was a lot of time before zero. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. There were like There's millions of years before zero. Way more time before zero than after zero. Mm-hmm. Very true. Do you want me to go you first? Go for yeah. I'm going to say 10,000 BCE. That's just a number that came to me. I don't even know what that means. So I'm going to go one year. Earlier than that. One, I mean, one, one, uh, what are they called? Years? No. (laughs) (laughs) Century. One century. Century. (laughs) (laughs) So, Sarah, you said 10,000, and and Sam, you said what? 11,000? I guess I say. 11,000. Yep. Or or (laughs) did you actually say 10,100 BC? Oh, shit. (laughs) Doesn't matter. Either way, then Sam is the winner. Yeah. It's 30,000 BCE. I wasn't I was on the right scale order of you magnitude. Were, That's yes. what I was worried about is being embarrassed about like a completely wrong like hundreds of thousands of years ago and Yeah. I was also on the right order of magnitude. So Yeah. Well, okay. Century <laughs> 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 boy. <laughs> I think I want Sari to go first. Okay. Okay. Well, nowadays there are a lot of tools or other work gear that straddle the line between form and style, uh, or form and function. And from my quick research, it seems like all of that started kicking off around 100 years ago. It took until the 1950s or so until leather tool belts were really a thing. But 1897 was when the first Swiss army knife was patented as the Swiss officers and sports knife Hmm. with like many small tools in a compact package. And before that, some people were probably just like storing their tools in a workshop or carrying them around in boxes by hand, but not everyone, uh, especially women who needed their tools and did not have pockets because fashion. Mm. (laughs) Uh, So I'd like to introduce you to the Chatelaine, C-H-A-T-E-L-A-I-N-E, a a fashion accessory slash tool holder that was popular during the 1800s. It's like a belt hook or clasp worn at the waist with chains that hold all your tools, depending on your needs and job. Oh, that's so awesome. It's like 
I can't believe I didn't know about it before today. But so like, for example, a chatelaine <laughs> oh, could have cool. household stuff like a pair of scissors, a thimble, a tape measure, keys, smelling salts for when you're feeling faint and things like that. And of course. that's where the name came from, because there were a common housekeeper accessory, like the, the mistress mm. of a chateau would have a chatelaine oh. um, to hold all the keys. Um, oh. But if you were a nurse, it might have a thermometer, a case for safety pins, a styptic pencil to clot wounds, and a leather pouch to hold other tools. Or if you were fancy and royalty, it could be bejeweled and have crosses and notebooks and eyeglass cases and even oh. miniature painting sets. Uh, it seems like there was a lot of custom work done, and it was really mm-hmm. common for a lot of major jewelers to make and sell chatelaines. And that's my fact. I just love that humans are so human because, of course, we are going to find ways to keep our hands free, but make sure we have tools nearby when we need them. Yeah. And make it fashion. And make it fashion because these are fashion. That's cool. I love them lots. This one that I've seen has 15, 16 tools on it. Too many tools. Most- most of them are much more like in the realm of five. Mm-hmm. But one of the tools on this one appears to be a straight up unsheathed knife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just like pin it to your little waistline on your dress. Yeah, like then... don't sit down wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's just a letter opener. But yeah, I mean, the, the ones with like a pen and a notebook, I'm like, oh, that's adorable. Mm-hmm. So you can always write down your, your thoughts, mm-hmm. your poems. Yeah, there were a couple that they found, and and I think a lot is speculation of what they were used for because I think they were sold or, or went out of fashion, and so now we're just discovering them and, and guessing. Yeah. But there was one that had, like, little notes tucked into it that seemed like it was someone's grieving chatelaine, so they, like, carried oh. it around and had had little reminders to, like, keep them oh. motivated throughout the day and, like, remember their lost loved one. And I thought that was very sweet. Oh, man. These are so weird because a lot of them I'm looking at, I'm like, I have no idea what any of that stuff's for. And also there's a lot of like, compa- like gosh, these need to come back. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of secret compartments. If, if like yeah. little me had discovered this, I loved a secret compartment. I still do, but oh, yeah. uh, I'm more constrained by society. But I would absolutely have made one for myself <laughs> of like what do you strings. Mean? Oh, I don't think I'm going to walk around with, like, strings dangling uh, from my pants now yeah, with, like, little no. pockets. But when I was a kid, absolutely right. I would. But, like, this is the great thing because, like, pockets are good, but, like, maybe this is better. Mm-hmm. You got your, your earbuds on there. What else am I carrying in my pockets all oh. the time now? You got your earbuds, your keys, just a flask of whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. You have to think about what tools you need on a regular basis. So, like, yeah. uh-huh. little... Little microphone. I don't know. Little, oh, yeah. A little phone, snack yeah. for later. A microphone. Uh, snack. Yeah. yeah. Cliff bar. <laughs> Some wacky props for your videos. Uh huh. A ring light. Little ring light. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Clip on ring light. Maybe a little like foundation or something. Some concealer just in case sure. you have a, a blemish. Chapstick. Oh, mm-hmm. of course. You need chapstick. Very important. That's. Yeah. I've always got chapstick in the pocket. But I'd want it. But you want like a a cool like like sterling silver case that you put your chapstick into, and then it's like you take the thing off, and it's like, yeah, oh, look at me. Because then yeah. it's decorative. Then people look at it. It's like, oh, what it what is that? that? What is like, in, oh, just, in your mysterious <laughs> holder? I'll never yeah, tell. It's, yeah, it's just ballistics. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wow, um, I, the, well, that's not a particular science fact, but I am deeply charmed. <laughs> yeah, but it, I guess the topic is tools. 
This is a tool. It is a it is a tool for tools. When yes. did you say leather tool belts existed? Like the 1950s, like quite recently. Oh. I was shocked. I thought you probably meant 1850s, but the 1950s? Yeah, I think they were. Wild. So my asterisk on all of this uh, is that a lot of cultures have invented various like sacks and pouches that you tie mm-hmm. to your waist. Sure, yeah. And uh-huh. so uh, specifically from my quick research, the tool belts as we know them today with like pouches designed for like modern-ish tools like that a carpenter would use or that a painter would mm-hmm. use are more recent. Like aprons existed before then in various pouches, but like something that a, a tradesperson would strap to their bodies and carry stuff around is, is like very recent, surprisingly mm-hmm. recent. You know what I want on my shadow lane, I've realized it's just a fork. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. All right, Sam, what do you got for me? So we've talked a lot about humans using tools, but surprisingly little about animals that use tools. So I oh, want to yeah. talk about an animal that uses a tool. Uh, it's pretty well known that crows use tools to mostly to get food. Uh, usually that means dropping something hard like shellfish or nuts onto like mm-hmm. rocks to crack them open. But there mm-hmm. are a few species of corvids and crows, uh, specifically the new Caledonian crow that actually fashion their own tools. Uh, and mm. in this case, hooks that they use to pull bugs out of holes in trees. And in fact, I mean, I assume that they have been using hooks to catch food since way before humans thought to do that because the oldest known fish hook is only 23,000 years old. So crows have beat us to the punch on that one. But it's not the fact that they make tools that I want to talk about. It's the sort of culture that New Caledonian crows have around their tools that I think is really cool and sort of mirrors behavior that you see in human artisans of all types. So first, the methods and precision that crows use to craft tools and the stuff that they make them out of changes as the crows age, but maybe not in the way that you would think. So they make tools by finding soft branches, and then they snip the branch off the tree. They snip all the little extra pieces off of that branch, and then they sharpen the end and like bend it until it makes a little hook. And that's what they use to dip into trees to get bugs. And, and researchers have observed that crows that spend more time finding the perfect thing to build into a hook and sharpening the end of it just right and perfectly make hooks that can pull bugs out of holes way faster. But it seems like Mm -hmm. spending a ton of time doing that is sort of a young crow's game. So younger Ah, birds with less tool experience. ah, This is is very reflective of my own reality. Yeah, mine too. (laughs) Have been observed spending way more time finding the perfect branch, shaping it just right, being very Mm -hmm. picky about it. But Uh older crows who've made tons of hooks in their lives look for a stick that's just good enough, make it kind of a bad hook stick it in and get a bug and then maybe just like drop the hook on the ground whereas younger birds hold on to their hooks longer. They put it on their shadow lane. <laughs> yeah, they wish they had one of those. <laughs> well, so they make crappy hooks that get the job done yeah. which is reflective of when you're old or old getting old like me you figure out what works and you just do that because who has the energy to find to, to like do something perfect every single time. It's exhausting. Only young people can do that. Second, they take care of their tools. So it might just be a stick to you and me, but a crow's hook took a lot of time and effort for it to make. Uh, and a crow seems to know the value of a good hook because 84% of the time, crows will store their tool for safekeeping when they aren't using it instead of just tossing it. So most of the time they just stand on it while they're doing things like <laughs> eating or resting just to keep it where it is. 
But when they're doing something really technically difficult, like eating food that's hard to eat or climbing up in trees to hunt for food, they'll stick it in a hole in a tree. So just for safekeeping. And the stick in a hole method leads to way less sticks being dropped while they're doing stuff. But researchers have noticed that other birds will swoop in and other crows will swoop in and steal the stick while they're doing their thing. Uh, and how does this apply to humans? Uh, an artist's tool is their livelihood, I guess. And if it was me, I wouldn't want to drop like my computer or whatever out of a tree if I was in it eating bugs. So I'll keep it on a desk. <laughs> the tree is the desk of the bird. The end. <laughs> Everybody knows that. Uh, but what is that like different between the old and the young ones? I, th- I think 84% of the time they don't throw their stick away no matter how old they are. Okay. It seems like, but then the rest of them. Even if it's a, even if it's a crappy stick that they just made, I think even if it's a crappy stick, they're like, "Might yeah, as well like, hold on to this crappy stick." Yeah, but but yeah. it takes them less time if, if they're older to find a stick that's good. So, they yeah, can, they can lose a stick. Man, th- see, that's like that's that is amazing because like not only is this bird using a tool, it's fashioning the tool, mm-hmm. but also it's showing human analogous behavior with regard to how the tool is made and the expertise of the of the person fashioning them, yeah or the entity that's pretty cool man how yeah. do they figure that out it's, um, how do you do you just in... like do you like time a, a bird and how long it takes to make a good hook i think so i think that i mean i think they just observed a lot of them and saw right older ones were just like yeah get a bug whatever it's wild to me if you can like look at a new caledonian crow and be like well that's susan she's 18 <laughs> and that and that's her that's her that's her daughter emily and you know she's she's a young crow. Like I don't know. I, I assume that you get to know the crows. You spend way too much time looking at the crows, yeah. and then then you can tell them apart. So I have to now decide who is the recipient of what amount of Hank bucks, and I'm going to give Sari four Hank bucks because I love the Chatelaine, and I'm going to give Sam six Hank bucks oh. because that was just very good. I I love tool use in animals, and I had no idea about that. And it makes me think about tool use and animals differently. I humbly accept your Hank books. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate the way that you're approaching this. And that means that we, our final scores are Sam with six point and Sari with five. Congratulations, Sam. A res- <laughs> our resident everyman has come out on top, come from behind with a underdog victory. And now it's time to ask the science couch. We've got a listener question for our couch of finally honed scientific mind. It's from at... JJVV, who asks, what's the oldest tool known to still be in use? Wow, that's a cool question. Is it a is it a mill? That was my thought. Oh. Yeah. Uh is it a You're more you're more kind than I am to the question. Uh <laughs> and, and like is thinking it, about Is your answer about penises? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the pen- But well, I, I thought of it more as like this felt this felt very subjective to me because tools have evolved and built on each other. And I think the the question right. asker's intent was, like you said, what right, what has been passed on through generations yeah. and and been used. And it's probably like a grindy of some sort. Some some mortar kind of and pestle, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, something that something really durable. Yeah. That's hard to make. Yeah. My other thought, the oldest company. And I don't know if this is actually true, but I know that a very old company is Zildjian, the symbol company. 
Ah. And so I thought symbols, but symbols aren't really tools. And also just because a company is old doesn't mean any individual symbol is. Hmm. <laughs> but yeah, so so you so for, for example, the oldest tool might be like the word mom. Oh, um, interesting. Because, because that is that is a that is our, uh, as I think that's one of the words that we think is pr- probably uh, has a, a connective root to a lot of different languages. Like language as uh, a tool. Yeah. Words are definitely tools. They're the best one. They're a pretty good one. Well, I went very <laughs> literal and I was like, rock smash. What's the oldest rock? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, the oldest rock used as a tool. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. But we're not still using that rock. No, but but I I was thinking well, of it as like an we're archetype. learning from it. Yeah, we're learning <laughs> okay. from that rock, and like other people still use. Like I'm sure there are cultures in the world today that use rocks as tools. So like even mm. though someone is not holding that specific rock in their hand, there's probably a rock out there that someone has been using to like slice or right. smash mm-hmm. for a, a very long time. And it'd work in a pinch. Yeah, if you really needed. To smash, and that was the only thing available. That's, that's yeah, I mean, but it'd probably be better than the average rock, <laughs> yeah. because somebody else made it into a good smashing rock. <laughs> and I'm sure all all anyone needs to do, all any of these like archaeologists need to do, is take one of these rocks that they're like, this is a tool, and then use it again, and then it's and then the oldest known, t- <laughs> oldest yeah. tool that's still in use. <laughs> so one of you, you go know what and I, do that. You know what I could do? I could skin a deer right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'd like to smash an animal on the head, and then you could just you could cut a leaf and be like, "Oh, I used it. That's it." You could like you don't have to do something particularly useful to use a tool. Yeah. So, so the oldest stone tools uh, were first found in 2011, but scientists reported a new batch in 2015 mm-hmm. at the Lomekwi Three site in Lake Turkana in Kenya, and they are from around 3.3 million years ago. And they predate the earliest humans in the Homo genus. So maybe they were made uh-huh. by Kenyanthropus platypus or Australopithecus afarensis. Um, so like human ancestors developing stone tools. And then like the Was next. What are the words you just said? Platypus? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Platyops uh, is what platyops. it is. And it autocorrected. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so I knew I knew platypuses yeah. were weird, but I didn't know they were a recent human ancestor. <laughs> but yeah, they were like uh, they found hammers and anvils and sharp stone flakes, most likely for cutting. And there is a lot of of like uh, anthropological evidence that feels very subtle to my eyes, but I'm sure is very obvious to someone who studies these things. Uh, of like this was an intentional. Or it looks like to be an intentional flaking uh, for a cutting tool. Hmm. And then the next most recent ones are the Oldowan tools, which are in like the 2.5 to 1.2 million years ago. And those ones come up pretty frequently as like the oldest known type of, of stone tool, like Homo habilis, one of our more closely related ancestors manufacture these kinds of stone tools and and they're similarly found at archaeological dig sites just slightly more recently. 
All right. Well, that was another level of fascinating. Thank you to at JJVV for your question. If you want to ask the Science Couch your question, you can follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we'll tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week. Thank you to at Jeffro.VT, at Mrs. Bowers22, and everybody else who tweeted us your questions for this episode. If you like this show and you want to help us out, it's super easy to do that. You can go to patreon.com slash SciShowTangents to become a patron and get access to things like our newsletter and bonus episodes of SciShowTangents, where you will learn more things and get to spend more time with us. Second, you can leave a review wherever you listen. That uh, is help, helps us know what you like about the show. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell, tell people, people about, about us. us. And I'm not kidding. Tell people about us. Thank you for listening. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz, who edits a lot of these episodes along with Hiroko Matsushima. Our social media organizer is Paolo Garcia Prieto. Our editorial assistant is Debuki Chakravarti. Our sound design is by Joseph Tunamedish, and we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. In 2020, researchers reported the first use of a tool by honeybees who were observed taking and altering things from their environment to transform their home. More specifically, the honeybees were observed taking animal poop and using it to line the entrance of their nests to ward off giant, mean, bee-destroying hornets. Oh, <laughs> wait. So, so poop is a tool? Poop is a tool if you use it as a tool. If you use it for work, not fun, then it's a tool. <laughs>